In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, uh, yesterday was Christmas Day, and today is technically the first Sunday after Christmas, uh, but we're observing it today since we didn't have a chance to do it yesterday. Uh, And so all of the readings, all of the hymns are uh, for Christmas Day in that celebration. Um, And I didn't have to do it this way. We didn't have to, uh, but we will. And the reason is because John chapter one, the gospel lesson you just heard, uh, is such a beautiful text that I don't think a year should pass by without us considering it in depth. Uh, It is that important for you as a Christian. So with that being said, the gospel lesson is from John chapter 1. And it's referred to as the prologue of the whole gospel of John. So that if you read chapter 1, you already know what the rest is going to be, how it's going to follow. And it's uh, 18 verses and it summarizes the entire gospel. Even secular um, academics and uh, uh, scholars will recognize the beauty of the text even though they don't accept the words, even though they don't believe it. Uh, But they see the syntax and the structure and the way it presents itself. And they say, this is beautiful. So if this is beautiful to those who don't accept it, uh, how much more beautiful should it be? And how much more worthy of attention is it for us who believe it? And who it means something for. So... That's why we're considering this text. And there's 18 verses, and I'm not going to go through every verse, but I'm just going to highlight certain verses. Um, Verses 1 and 2 are probably some of the most memorable verses. And they say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning uh, with God. And that is one of the most remarkable sentences in all of Holy Scripture. The Bible here is presenting two persons to us, the Word and God, both in the same sentence. And then it says two things. Then it says the Word is God. And then it says the Word was with God. That the Word is God and the Word is with God. And he lets both things stand and he leaves them there. Uh, and that is not a normal way of speaking. You, you can't say, I'm with Pastor Rojas and I am Pastor Rojas, right? <laughs> You'd be um, given medicine if you said something like that. Or, uh, you can't be you and with you at the same time. You're, I, you're either with somebody or you are that somebody, but you can't be both. And so already in verse one, we see a seeming contradiction that the word is God and the word is also with God. Uh, To resolve this, some have tried to just dismiss these words and they said something like, well, John, he's old and he wrote a long time ago, the internet wasn't invented, they didn't have phones or anything. So he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not that smart. Um, And so others have tried to reinterpret the text. Some have gone so far as to change the words of the text. Uh, which is what the Jehovah's Witnesses have done. They have changed the Bible and then reprinted it and said they have the right Bible. Um, That is a lie. They they don't. Now, so the question is, what's going on here? First of all, John is not a fool. He knows that something can't be itself and also be with itself 
at the same place and at the same time. Uh, yes, technology and medicine and tools have all advanced, but logic doesn't advance. Reason doesn't advance. It's the same throughout every culture, through every point in history of time. Reason and logic are the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. So John is very, very particular. He knows what he's saying. And the Holy Spirit caused these words to be written. And what's going on here is this. That this word, the almighty and eternal son of God, is both with God the Father Almighty, that is distinct from the Father, that he could be with the Father, and at the same time, he is one with the Father, uh, that he is one uh, essence with him. So John, or Jesus himself says this later in John, John chapter 10, he says, I and my Father are one. He doesn't say we're one in purpose or one in will, or one in uh, decree, we are numerically one, substantially, essentially, of one substance with the Father. Uh, so that the Son of God is both God and he is also with God. It's beautiful. Now, then, John goes on to say in this next verse, he says, all things were made through him. Through whom? Through the Word, through the Son. That is the, the, the Son, the Son of God, the Word Himself. And then John goes on to say, and it sounds at first glance, it sounds like he's saying the same thing. He's just repeating it. He says, and all things were made through Him. And then he says this, and without Him was not anything made that was made. It sounds like he's just repeating it. Uh, you'd imagine that it's enough for him to just say everything was made through Him. But John goes on to say, and nothing that was made, was made apart from him, without him. In other words, if something is made, then it was made through the Son. If something that came to existence, uh, it was created, if it had a beginning, it was through the Son, through Jesus, uh, through, through the Son of God. So we conclude from this that the Son is not made. We conclude that the Son is not made because all things were made by Him. And that means that if He was made, then He Himself would be the one thing that He did not make. Do you see that? How's that for Christmas? Uh, for Christmas morning. Uh, so you see this. If the Son of God was made, then the Bible couldn't say without Him, any, without him was not anything made that was made. Because he would fall under that same category. So the son is not made or created or formed. But the son of God is one who forms and makes and creates. And not a Sunday goes by here at Zion that we don't confess this. Um, you, you said it a few moments ago. We say, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, begotten of his father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. That the Son of God is not a made thing. Uh, Arius taught this a long time ago. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons teach this to this day. They say, look, he, here is the Father, 
and then he makes the sun, and then through the sun, he creates all everything else. He creates everything else that we see. But if he does this, then that leaves one thing that the sun did not make, that is himself. Uh, so it wouldn't make sense to say that the sun has made all things if he himself is a made thing. So, so you, you would, what John should have said, is, if this is what he wanted to say, is that the Father made all things, and then Jesus or the Son made everything else, or that the, the Son made every other thing, or the Son made 99.99% of all things. But he says, no, everything was made through that Son, uh, and not a thing was made that was not made. And that is remarkable. Because that means that the Son, though He is distinct from the Father, is equal with the Father. And He is one with the Father. <clears throat> okay, so that's what Holy Scripture teaches so far. Uh, the Word of, is God Himself, the one who speaks all things to existence. Uh, this Word is God. Now, I wish I had time to go through every verse and talk about the light and the darkness and John and all these things. But I'm just going to go to verse 14. And verse 14, which is the crescendo of this entire prologue, says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that is the most astounding thing imaginable. That the same God who is with God and is God, who made all things, now has an eye, has ears, has a nose and a mouth, has a body and skin and hair and all these things in a heartbeat. And he dwells among us that he breathes the same air, he eats the same food, drinks the same drink, all of these things. And, and notice what John says. He says the word became flesh. He didn't say simply that the word appeared as flesh, uh, that he looked like flesh, but he really wasn't. He didn't say that the word took on flesh as if he could just take it off again, right? These are uh, temporary and changeable words. They can be changed. But John uses a permanent word. He says the word became flesh, which means that God has incorporated our humanity into his own identity, into who he is. And it's undoable. It's an undoable thing. It's a permanent thing. He doesn't... So it's not that Jesus would say, I, I have flesh, but that he would say, I am flesh. Uh, it's not that he has a body. He is body. He does have... I mean, he is himself a man. And we say this in the Creed too every Sunday. We say, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. He was not made as God, but he was made man. Now, <clears throat> I want you to understand uh, that the word became doesn't mean change into. It's not that the Son of God was God, but now in his incarnation, he's not Right? Or as if there's a substantial change there. Is that the Son of God was God, and then he was made man, and he is both at the same time 100% fully God, 
while remaining 100% fully man. So I, I want you to imagine it this way, picture it this way. Uh, you go to, to the stable on the night of Jesus' birth. And there you see Joseph and you see the manger and you see Mary holding Jesus, the baby Jesus, the infant, just a day old or so. And imagine that Mary then takes the baby, Jesus, and hands him to you. And you're holding Jesus in your arms, right? You're holding this baby. And as you're holding the baby, you say something like, all right, Mary, so you're telling me that this little baby that I'm holding is the one who was running the universe, right? That he's the one who was holding the stars in place. That he is the one who was governing the affairs of all humanity. And now he's a baby in my arms, right? Uh, to which Mary would have said, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he was running the universe or feeding everyone or governing the world. I'm saying that he is right now. This baby is running the universe. He is governing the world. He is holding the stars in place while you hold him in your arms. It's not that the God, that the Son of God changes into flesh and ceases to be God, but he becomes flesh, is made man, and remains God and fully man. Okay, now this is the last part, and the last part of the verse, which I think is the most important. And I'll preach on uh, this for the rest of the sermon. And that is the words when John says, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And the question is, what is his glory? What is that? Uh, the first thing that came into my mind was the transfiguration. So there you see Jesus as a man, and through his skin, he's shining bright like the sun. Um, and then I thought, no, 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 maybe it's his resurrection, that there he defeats sin, death, and the devil, and the grave, and he stands uh, in front of his own tomb, and he's alive. So that must be his glory. And then I thought, no, 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 uh, there's probably something better, which is his ascension. His ascension must be the moment of his glory where he rises far above uh, heaven and earth. All authority is given back or given to him and that he rules the universe. Um, and then I thought, uh, why guess at what Jesus is uh, talking about here, about his glory? Why not see what Jesus says? And he tells us what his glory is. In John chapter 12, during the last week of his life, while everyone is preparing to celebrate the Passover, some of the Greeks went and told Philip, they said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, uh, we're thinking, they're not saying this in a pious way. Like, we want to see what he says. They say, uh, we heard about Jesus, and we know he does flashy, miraculous things. So I want to see it. I want to see it with my own eyes. Do something glorious in front of me. And so then that's the context. And this is when Jesus says, he says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And this is as if Jesus is saying, okay, 
you Greeks, you guys, you guys want to see something glorious. You stick around and I'm going to show you glory like you have never seen it before. I'm going to do something so glorious before your eyes. And then he goes on to explain what that glory is. And he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now is my soul troubled, and what then shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, and he says, Glorify your name. Save him from what hour? The hour of his resurrection? The hour of his transfiguration? The hour of his ascension? No, he's not going to be saved from those hours. He says, it's the hour of his crucifixion. And he says, for this purpose I have come. And then he goes on to say, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I... When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So back in chapter one, in this text, when John says, we beheld his glory, he's not saying that we saw Jesus shine. He's not saying we saw him high and lifted up or resurrected. He's saying in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And we saw Him die upon a cross for our sins. That's what He's saying. So, I'm going to close here in a moment, but I want you to imagine it this way. In your mind, set two images there. One is of Jesus on the cross bruised and bleeding and dying and wearing a crown of thorns with blood on his face. And then on the other, uh, in the other uh, side, the other image, uh, imagine Jesus high and lifted up, surrounded by all of the angels, all of the archangels, all of the hosts of heaven, shining in all of his glory, right? With power and dominion and majesty. Now you have these two images in your mind. Now, which of those two images in your mind is more glorious? And everyone will say this one. And what does Jesus say? He says this one, the one where he is nailed to a cross, wearing a crown of thorns, emaciated, gasping for air, choking on his own blood and dying for my sin and my guilt. And I thought that was the depths of his degradation. And we thought that was the worst and lowest moment of his life. And he thinks of it as his crowning achievement. He says, it is my greatest day, my greatest hour. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it that day. He considers it his glory. Because for him, that is the moment he wiped away all of your sin. It is his glory because that is the moment he bought you back, not with gold or silver, but with his holy and precious blood. That's it. 
That is what Jesus thinks of his glory. That is what he considers. That you are the crowning achievement that he has accomplished in this life. Now that, dear saints, is what the Lord thinks of you. He endures the pain and the shame and the trouble and the suffering, uh, receives all of the wrath of God and hell upon his own head so that you would sleep well at night knowing your sins are forgiven. And that, he says, is his glory. So, dear saints, Merry Christmas. May God bless you this Christmas as we continue to uh, meditate upon the Lord's birth and as we meditate upon the glory of the Lord. Amen. Hear the words of this hymn. O Jesus Christ, thy manger is my paradise at which my soul reclineth. For there, O Lord, doth lie the word made flesh for us here in thy grace forth shineth. Thou Christian heart, whoe'er thou art, be of good cheer and let no sorrow move thee. For God's own child in mercy mild joins thee to him, how greatly God must love thee. So the world may hold her wealth and gold, but thou, my heart, keep Christ as thy true treasure. To him hold fast until at last a crown be thine and honor in full measure. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.